Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, for the final time in Season 4 of Sacred Realms. I am so happy to be here with y'all. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Matt, we have reached the end of yet another season. We have. Uh, four down and nine-ish more to go. Uh, more than nine. I mean, there's a lot. I don't know. Lot, lot more to go. But uh, this was a good one. It was a, it was our first game that um, I have not played before. So my first blind experience going into a new Zelda game in a very long time. And uh, I'll tell you what, it was a fun and exciting ride. Um, we had so much fun, so many good memories, lots of good things to talk about. We've had amazing guests. We had uh, we had a four piece quorum at one point with Max and Melora and you and me. And man, it was just, it's been a wild season. It's been a lot of fun. It has been crazy. Uh, like you said, we've had lots of excellent guests on the show, and we're pleased to welcome back another returning player tonight who I think is going to just be joining us for these recap episodes going forward. You know him, you love him. Mike, the detective, how you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. Howdy, everybody. He says howdy like a Southern gentleman. Well, we love it. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I it'll, it. It, it makes me just a little bit more attracted to him in that moment than I am any other time, which is, is a that, lot. Just I was about to, to say, is that with, possible so. to be more attracted That's a to him? dangerous level of attraction Ooh. right there. Like it, it was already almost out of control. It's getting red hot up in here, ladies and gentlemen. My wife red gets jealous hot. when I come over to hang out and smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I just love you so much. Mike, we're so happy to have you back on the podcast. Of course, as I just said, this is going to be one of our season-ending recap episodes. If you guys don't know, we always end uh, a season of the show by taking a look back at the entirety of the game that we just played, talking about the high points, the low points, um, and everything in between. And then, of course, we finish it off by ranking it against the other games that we've played, trying to create a uh, definitive list that I feel like is probably going to get pretty squirrely by the time we're done with all this. I mean, by the time we're done with all this we're probably just gonna have to go back and like relook at it again for for objectivity's sake right because there's always recency bias and how many times have you played it bias and we're, we're always i think the other thing is we're ranking it a little bit differently so i mean it, it's a it's a best of list in our subjective opinion so like you know i guess it just kind of is what it is it's our fates, what it's whatever our favorites are. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to have their own listing. And even we've disagreed at times so far going forward on this show. And we're only, like you said, four seasons in. Yeah. It's going to get squirrely. It is. And and that's why we have to have three people because Linda and I can't just be sitting here debating till we're blue in the face with and then end in a dead tie. Yeah. Well, I thought that that was the way to go. And then that resulted in my, my darling Link's Awakening getting bumped down into third place underneath Skyward Sword. So I'm kind so of I feel like I, my I came now. on top on that one. Yeah, that's for sure. You can always try a trial by combat to get your game back on top. He doesn't want to do that. I'd beat him. I mean, I'm not here to pass judgment. He's a svelte and <laughs> cunning man. He is a svelte and cunning man. Man, I don't know that anyone's ever described me in that way 
before, and I love it. Svelte. I can use more of that in my life. <laughs> Svelte and cunning. Big fan. Big fan. Um, Mike, how have you been? I mean, what have you, what have you been up to lately? Um, any fun games you're playing? I mean, catch us up with you. Uh, yeah, it's been busy. Work's been really uh, taxing with a lot of people out with COVID. And so closing cases. And then uh, personally, my leg's been healing up, which has been good. It's just slower than I'd like it to be. I've got about four more weeks before I go back and see the doc. Game-wise, I have been playing a buttload of Metroid Dread, which mm. did live up to the hype that you guys talked about here on the podcast a little bit. I'm greatly enjoying it. And then uh, Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> the uh, the universally acclaimed, completely non-controversial video game, Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> no one's ever said a bad thing about it in its entire existence. I, so I sat on this game for a year. I had a hard copy at my house that my father-in-law got me last Christmas. And I finally got the new Xbox, so I feel like I had I owed it to him and the game to get in there. I've had a pretty good time. It, it's been thoroughly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple things that make me go, eh. But the number of times I've gone, eh, are far out. Other times I go, huh, or whoa. Okay, <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's that's really all you can look for in, in some games, right? Especially a free gifted game. When you spend your own money on it, it's a little bit yeah. different. But and I, in fairness, too, I mean, Cyberpunk at this point in its life has uh, has benefited from quite a lot of fixes and patches. I mean, work is being done on that game. So I think it's fair to say that you're getting a uh, um, a much improved product at this point in its life cycle. Yeah, it, it's been way better than it was reported to me originally that it would play and really minimal issues. So I've been having a blast. So that's whenever the kids are asleep and then Metroid, whenever I'm sitting there and they're watching Tots or uh, Puppy yes. Dog Pals. <laughs> yeah, you got to you gotta get the uh, drown out the, the toddler entertainment with your own entertainment. But that's the great thing about Metroid Dread to me is that it is just – it's one of those games that you can pick up and play for 30 minutes and like with frequent pauses and you can still like push the needle forward towards the end of the game in that amount of time. Oh, absolutely. I think most of the time that I played Metroid Dread was not in large chunks. It was in 30 minutes to an hour, maybe an hour and a half at most before I would have to like switch over back to whatever Zelda game we were playing or just, you know, it was one of my in-between games and I was still able to progress it forward. And I actually beat it while I was on vacation a few weeks ago. And man, I just cannot tell you how much fun I had with that game. So two things, same for me as far as the time, I love that the game has enough save points and also enough gear that I can play for 30 minutes and generally unlock something new that's exciting to keep me interested. Mm-hmm. Secondly, how was that vacation, Matt? Oh, the vacation was phenomenal. It was uh, it was 10 days uh, of sitting on the beach, uh, getting some sun and being 60% drunk 70% of the time. And uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, it was good. It was nice and relaxing. I'm trying to do that math. <laughs> it checks out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we, we were able to do uh, one dive uh, earlier in the week. Um, our second dive got canceled due to some bad weather. Um, the undertow around that uh, area of Mexico is just extremely rough. So if it gets too bad, you you can't dive or else you get swept out into the uh, great blue nothingness. Well, that's not what we want for you. I don't think it's ever been mentioned on this podcast before, but uh, all three people sitting at this table currently are certified scuba divers. And we generally love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a, it is a Willoughby family tradition. Uh, when 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 we are able to, living in Texas, we're not able to very often, but uh, <laughs> when we're able to, we do enjoy a good little dip in the uh, yawn pool. 
Yeah. Uh, meaning the, the, ocean. The, the ocean. Meaning the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> the actual sea. Um, yeah. Uh, the diving in Texas, notably not wonderful. No, no, ter- terrible. Absolutely terrible. I still remember doing my my dive. I mean, the, the dive you have to do to get your certification. And we did it in Possum Kingdom Lake. At oh, a dam. that sounds disgusting. It was so murky. You couldn't see two feet in front of your face. And there were these catfish that... No joke, we're at least four feet long swimming all around you. It's a little freaky. Yeah, no, I'm but in not a good about way. That. I mean, not about that, but uh, you know, whenever you get to a an ocean and you have the uh, ability to take a little dip with the fishies, it's a uh, it's a very enjoyable, relaxing time. Gonna pull it back to Metroid Dread <laughs> for for one second. Um, I don't want to go too far down this path, uh, but I just think you know, you guys were talking about how um, it's so fun to play in in perfect little chunks, and I think one of the things that it does is it balances that gameplay loop with a very fair amount of difficulty. I, I think it's very difficult in the in the best and fairest possible way, in that like. When you die, you never felt like you got cheated out of that life, um, and it kind of pushes you to improve your your gameplay strategy and to get better. Uh, and it's always fun to do that. So I, I, I think it's a great, great time. Um, but the reason I don't want to get too far down this road is because we were talking about it right before we went live. And I think one of the things we might do during the during the hiatus, um, I know you, I said before that we were going to keep some bonus content coming on the channel during that time. And I think that us three might just sit down and have a, a little off-topic Metroid Dread breakdown bonus episode. So yeah, look forward to that. I mean, it's Nintendo. It's kind of related. I mean, I, I'd say that they're closer than some other things we could do. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely no Mass Effect episode or anything like that. But you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we were going to have like a, a yodel off, then I don't think that that would be too super relevant to our normal fare. Also, so. I think Mike would win. But if you're here for a yodel off, please leave a comment. <laughs> Let us and know. We might, have a yodel we might yodel for you at some point. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, Mike! Did you catch our uh, our five star review from last week, wherein we had somebody who was kind <laughs> enough to drop their favorite B dubs? flavor on us oh yeah i i thoroughly enjoyed the b-dubs flavor talk that, yeah no those are gonna be seriously when you guys leave five star reviews we now check them weekly uh and if you if anybody ever wants to uh definitely get a shout out on the show leave a five star review on apple podcasts with your favorite b-dubs uh flavor and we'll, we'll we give it on a, to fries we're on fries now oh you're right we're on fries you're right we're, we're doing uh we're doing what is your favorite fry I uh, felt, fast food fry. I felt a collective Texan nod whenever you talked about how garbage the uh, oh shoot that blew over. Uh, whenever you talked about the what's the California burger chain that In and Out? Yeah, In-N-Out, how garbage the In and Out fries That's are. They're how terrible. Little it means to me is I can't remember the name. And uh, their fries, their burgers are, wet are good, garbage. but their burgers are good, but their fries are just literally cardboard in a box. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> They're cardboard inside cardboard. That's exactly what they taste like. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, guys, it is a pleasure, a, just a darn pleasure having us all around this table again. We do, of course, have lots to talk about, so we should probably get right into that sooner rather than later. Before we do that, let's get into a spot of housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. That we know of. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds 
sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Be sure to leave us a review. You can also leave us star reviews on Spotify, not written reviews, but we still appreciate them very much. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and written reviews on Apple Podcasts have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Just a reminder that we eschewed the voting section of that uh, going from this season into the next one. The reason being is that season five will be covering Breath of the Wild. Uh, We decided that now was the best time to do that, before the sequel comes out, we're about to take a little bit of a hiatus in which we don't have regular episodes coming out every Wednesday for probably about the next month and a half to two months. We will, of course, continue providing bonus episode on the channel. I'm hoping weekly um, we're going to mix that up between past bonus episodes that have previously been behind a paywall uh, and then some new content as well. So there should still be stuff to listen to. Um, so, yeah, keep it locked. Absolutely. Yeah. Matt, I think we have a five-star review to let off the chain, don't we? We do. But before we get into that, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, today being uh, the 31st of January, uh, when we are recording this episode, we gave you guys collectively a huge shout out. Our podcast was over 700 downloads uh, this last week alone. And that is just a number that we never thought we would reach collectively, much less for one week's worth of downloads. And there was much rejoicing. (laughs) Yay! Um, So thank you guys. Again, I know we've said it a lot of times, but we're going to keep saying it because Lyndon and I are just blown away by the amount of support that you guys have given us, the engagement that we get on social media, uh, just everything that you guys say uh, brightens our day. Um, and the and just talking with you guys is really uh, what brings it all uh, to the forefront of enjoyment for us. So thank you all for everything that you have done, the support that you've shown. We appreciate you. Uh, let's uh, let's get up to a thousand downloads in a week and maybe we'll uh, have a little party on the podcast at some point but um thank you guys so much so for our five-star review today we have a five-star review from cola chrome and he says or she says they say my new favorite podcast by far the Willoughby's never fail to entertain. Two weeks ago I googled Zelda podcast out of sheer curiosity cue secret sound effect As of today, I am caught up and have subscribed to the Patreon for the bonus content. Revisiting Zelda games chapter by chapter with an objective viewpoint is a great idea, and it has been a blast listening to different opinions and views on my favorite game series of all time. The guests are always super knowledgeable and bring fresh takes to the table. I'm always learning new things from the guests and hosts alike. I look forward to the next season and fully expect it to be excellent in every way. Whether you are a longtime Zelda fan, a newcomer to the series, or just looking for an interesting take on a classic video game franchise... Give these guys a listen. Well, Colochrome, we do appreciate the kind words, and we uh, hope you will enjoy Breath of the Wild as much as you have enjoyed all the seasons previous. That was just a darn glowing review. It was. It was. That made me feel all all sorts of fuzzy inside. Unrelated to the whiskey that we're drinking. Well, that and you kind of need it tonight. It's starting to cool off. It is. It's getting a little windy out here. Sorry if you guys can hear any background noise. The wind is picking up a little bit. I think I can filter that out, but I I, I hope so anyway, because we're sure not re-recording this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're apparently due for another apocalyptic winter weather event later this week. So fingers crossed that we actually keep our power in water this time. Yeah, right. Which to any listeners in the north, our apocalyptic event is like a spring day for you guys. Oh, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, guys, you want to just jump right into it? Let's jump right into it. 
This is, of course, the Sacred Realms recap, the once per season replacement for the Sacred Realms rundown in which we tackle uh, lots of different topics about the game that we just got finished playing. Part one is, of course, the plot. I want to open this up uh, for a little bit of discussion. Matt, I'm going to let you go first. I'd like to give us your overall thoughts on the plot of this game now that it's kind of behind us. Um, how, how did you feel about it? How did you feel about the story? So I I think that I have a hard time separating this story from my uh, experience with Ocarina of Time because everything that I have done or viewed this story as has always been through the lens of they're talking about the events of Ocarina of Time. Like that's the, like it's obviously a little bit hit or miss, uh, but easily uh, thrown up to couched in legend and myth and blah, blah, blah. But um, as a continuation, even though this game came first of the story that was uh, played out in Ocarina of Time, it's just really interesting to see where that story uh, took us right to to the high rule that we encounter in this game, a link to the past, and um, seeing the the dark world and how Ganon, when he you know um, uh, broke the Triforce in the Sacred Realm and defeated Link, and and that split that happened uh, was really cool. I think there's some there's some limitations uh, that top down has for story, and that's always been my biggest qualm of i will generally not ever at least so far uh rank a top-down zelda above a 3d you know an equally good 3d zelda because 3 3d medium and especially modern 3d medium has so much more breadth and width that it can give to characters and story that top-down doesn't as easily um bring to the table and i think that rings true here the story will felt kind of rushed in some places. There were sections of the game where we would go from literally three dungeons in a row and the story didn't feel like it was really progressing much beyond you freed another maiden. Okay, now go free another one. Now go free another one. Okay, and now we need to figure out some more stuff. And so exposition and and things like that are more in large chunks and less woven through. So, um, but overall, I would say Link to the Past does a good job of being uh, a continuation of the Ocarina of Time story, even though, again, I know it came first, um, but, you know, in the timeline of Hyrule Historia, etc., um, we, we see where it lies. But Mike, how about yourself? So my first off steaming hot take on this game is I enjoyed it about 200 percent more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. I absolutely agree with that. Um, we've talked about it before uh, conversations on here with me and Matt and Lyndon. And I kind of have a bias against the 2D games. I didn't play any of them growing up. Um, I'm playing all these for the first time with you guys. And I kind of had the same thing in my head that how could a 2D match story to a 3D? Because like you said, they just have kind of a better medium for storytelling. But that kind of was already shattered for me with, um, I'm like, on the Link's Awakening. Yeah. Because I felt like that had a really cohesive and well thought of story for a 2D game. And then this game, I would say it was plot light, mm-hmm. but the plot to me was more subtle. You kind of had to make inferences, um, kind of tell your own story in your head. At least that's what I did. I kind of played making up some more as I went along. And then every now and again, it gives you a little tidbit just to, to chew on for a little bit. And then you know the the overall story. I mm-hmm. mean, you're, you're saving princesses. You're putting Ganon back in his cage. You're killing him however you want to play it. And you're just going from point A to B. But it had enough going on story beat-wise between to keep me interested, mixed with some pretty awesome gameplay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I agree with everything that both of you guys are saying. Uh, And to to your point, Mike, about kind of filling in a lot of the narrative gaps yourself, just kind of using your imagination to to fill those in. I mean, obviously, Matt and and various guests and I have been doing that all season, um, just in terms of like coming up with headcanon that seems plausible, mm-hmm. given what we know about the overall canon of the Zelda games, which we have a pretty full picture of at this point. I mean, between Ocarina of Time, which came out after this game, which of course is where we get most of the foundation for the things that were uh, the inferences that we're making, uh, but also we kind of know what happens in the canon of the downfall timeline after this point um so yeah i mean it, it's enough for us to really kind of dig into it and to make some solidly educated guesses if nothing else yeah and i think that that's all that's really required for a game like this um i think that that was especially true in the time that it came out right where there was a lot less expectation of there being the kind of narrative experience that you're talking about matt that you would have gotten in say like a skyward sword or whatever oh, for sure um and- and I, I want to further that particular point before I let you finish the, the rest of your thoughts there is it, <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. I, I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had the best music video of all time. Uh, anyway, uh, according to our good friends, Max and Melora on Twitter, who reminded us that in this era of gaming, it was expected that you would read the guide for the game before or while you played the game where they would fill in a lot of those gaps for you. And I think maybe I'm missing out on that particular aspect of this game because i obviously didn't do that and I, it would you know, not be hard for me I to bet go you, google yeah. search it and find it i but. bet you i bet you melora's got that on uh, on history of hyrule i bet we could like go find that if we oh wanted yeah to. i mean we easily we could easily find it right like even just a pdf version on google images we could probably find but yeah but go to history of hyrule obviously thank you melora thank you melora um and uh, so maybe I'm just missing out on that. Maybe I just don't have as much of an appreciation for this era of gaming because it was before I was even born. Like, I don't I don't know if I'm just like missing something. There are so many people that just laud this game as like the greatest game of all time or like their favorite Zelda game of all time. And like I, I would never I, I actually don't have very many bad things at all to say about this game. And I have bad things no. to say about every Zelda game, including <laughs> Ocarina of Time and Skyward Sword. I have bad things to say about every Zelda game. Every, I mean, if you're looking at things objectively, you have to have a bad thing to say about a, a game. And there are very few of this one. And to Mike's point, I went into this. I haven't played any of it before ever. And I've played very little at the top down Zeldas. I did not expect to come away from this game enjoying it half as much as I actually did. So I don't want I don't want anyone listening to my takes on the story portion to think that I didn't like the game and I think it was bad. I think the story was bad. That's none of that is true. I'm just looking at it from a holistic perspective. And you can love a game like we love all these Zelda games, but the criticism are just as important as the praise. Because that's how you get a full picture of the game. And you guys both beat me to it. Thanks. But I think I was going to say that this was a product of its time. Yeah. And I think in its time, you were supposed to have less story-driven, more imagination-driven gaming mm-hmm. and the guides. But a lot of the games I've played from this time period, you are having to make more Fill story. in those gaps and for yourself. It's like reading a book. You know, you, yeah. you have the characters, they're on the page, but then it's up to your imagination to fill them out. And I do want to say, too, that we've said several times um, something to the effect of this game is a product of its time uh, about a variety of topics. I think that that is a a statement that can cut two ways. A game can be a product of its time and exemplify the worst in, in gameplay design principles of that era and can age not well. Or a game can kind of exemplify the best of what was possible at that time. And I think that this game falls into the latter category. Oh, hard agree. Hard, hard, hard agree. 
yeah, th- this game really has given me more of an appreciation for the Super Nintendo era of gaming than any other SNES game I've ever played. Like, I, and I've played a few others. This one is by far the best that I've played, and I have, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it really made me want to, we did the, we're family, so we have the family plan for and our We for do our have Switch. that. Yes, we do. And going through and finding this on the SNES Super Nintendo queue for that, I found a bunch of other games that I want to delve into, and this gave me more hope for, hey, I need to hit some of these up. They're, they're probably going to be worth it. Yeah, I, I agree. I would definitely, as an aside to that, if you haven't played uh, Super Mario World in a while, that game, uh, I know it's it's one of the older ones, but that's my favorite Mario game to this day, um, and it has held up in a lot of ways even better than this game does. So go play Super Mario World. I think if you haven't done it in a while, you'll you'll really enjoy that one. Um, okay, so while we're in the plot section, we've kind of made it a habit of this to kind of break down the iterations of some of our most uh, popular characters. Yep. Um, in each game within this section. So let's go ahead and start off with the guy himself. Let's talk about this game's version of Link. Mike, how do you feel that this game's version of Link stacks up against the incarnations that we've gotten in Ocarina, Link's Awakening, Skyward Sword? That That's kind of a loaded question because I feel like the, the Link trope is he's somewhat of an ordinary guy, at least seemingly thrust into a grand scheme and a grand quest. Uh, he's almost never prepared for it and then has to kind of take that mantle and run with it. And it's 100% this link. Your uncle runs off into the woods <laughs> to go to the castle. Like, well, I guess I'm going to go too. <laughs> I guess I'll follow him even though I don't have any weapons, shields, or just got the clothes on my back. He didn't leave any food in the pantry, so I got to go see what's going on with that. So you follow him and take up his mantle essentially to go on. And I don't know how old this link's supposed to be. I can't imagine he's very old. And so he just kind of takes it on himself, slaying monsters, saving gals, and uh, just doing a right fine job of it by For all sure. accounts. Yeah, uh, and I love his 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 pink hair just gives him some spunk, uh, like a punk rock, punk yeah. rock link. He's real edgy on his fashion, which I appreciate. I, yeah, you know, I have nothing against he, it. He's probably the edgiest link as far as his fashion sure. sense goes that I've played so far. Mm-hmm. But at he, the end of the game, he has a purple hat to go with his pink hair, and that clashes magnificently with the red tunic. <laughs> it's a statement. It's a very, very fashion statement but piece. As far as his, this rendition of Link, I think that the way they did him, and y'all talked about this last episode and, and several other episodes, but the power upgrades he gets from stock Link. I woke up out of bed this morning, going to go milk some cows and feed some chickens to I have a purple hat, don't screw with me, mm. is a big progression, mm-hmm. and I was there for it. I think that it's really tough to talk about because this is this was back when we were firmly entrenched in the whole um, philosophy of Link being a very blank slate for us to kind of imprint our own uh, personalities and to kind of infer a lot about who he is. Um, so it's, it's really hard to analyze him as a character because in a lot of ways, like you're saying, Mike, he is just kind of an average Joe, um, who definitely starts off the game in a far less badass kind of place than some of the other ones that we've, that we've known. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to kind of get a, a, a bead on his individual personality just because, I mean, there's, there's no effort really kind of given to fleshing that out because it's just not necessary. Like, it's not that kind of game. Whereas even the next game chronologically 
the next console game chronologically after this one or or even not console game the link's awakening came after this one and i think that that link has even got a little bit more characterization than this one does but let's go on to ocarina of time that transition to 3d allows um, them to do things with uh like framing of the camera and to see like to set up scenes and to uh give a more cinematic quality to link and his interaction with other characters uh in addition to getting just more of a backstory in general and so the shift to 3D really afforded them an opportunity to to give Link a lot more characterization than he had here. And I don't want to say that I think that that's a bad thing for this game. I think that it would be very difficult to make you um <laughs> to to give you that characterization that I'm talking about in this top-down format with the technology of the time. And I think that he is a, he is a cool character, and I enjoyed playing this incarnation of Link. Like you said, Mike, he he gets to be a real badass by the end of this game. Um, but I just don't know that I have too much emotional investment in this version of Link. Yeah, I think that's that's where I fall off most strongly with 2D Zeldas as a general overarching rule, of which I have very little experience to make that general overarching rule, but in my limited experience, that's where I fall off with with two up-down Zeldas, is it's hard for me to invest in the primary protagonist, which is Link, because he's supposed to be, and I know like the, the intention for Link was exactly like you said, Lyndon, to be just the portal for the player to be engaged within the world of Hyrule, and if you look at it as that way, well then it's almost like you're investing in whatever version of Link you've made up for yourself right whatever his backstory is in your own head however he feels in a certain situation is how you feel in that certain situation um unless you just like really like role-playing dungeons and dragons styles making yourself you know making your own character react completely differently than you would but like there's just nuance there that requires effort uh, on the player's part which i don't necessarily dislike or or i don't necessarily think is a bad thing it's not something that i engage with personally in the most positive light. And again, to your point, Lyndon, understand why it is the way that it is because this era of gaming, that's just that, that was really, you only had so many bits right in the game for memory storage. And you just had to, you had to make those allowances. And I think it was definitely an intentional choice, but probably an intentional choice driven by limitations within the, the platform. Well, and I think you're not really supposed to be as invested in Link himself as you are in the quest. Right. And his progression, which I think was one of the cool things about this game with all the upgrades you're you're kind of constantly getting throughout the game. That makes you feel more like cool i unlocked a new male you're you're powering up with link right like your your character sprite your uh avatar you're powering up as you go through the game and that's felt most strongly in this game more so than any other game that i've played really outside of like breath of the wild where you get to go upgrade all of your gear with fairy and make yourself like basically invincible but um i mean you are you are invincible in this game if you've got the magic cape or the cane of burna so like (laughs) you know this link definitely has the widest array of most powerful items that i've ever seen in a zelda game straight up invulnerability invisibility when you're not invulnerable or invisible you have 75 percent damage reduction because of the red mail you have 50 percent damage increase because of the golden sword you have projectile reflecting uh mirror shield like this link gets some crazy powerful upgrades and there's no doubt about that so by the time he ends this game we all agree that link kind of 
gets into a, a very badass place in terms of his abilities and, and, and what he can do from a combat standpoint. But we also know that this Link goes on from this point to become the Link of Link's Awakening. So part two of this question is, do you appreciate this incarnation of Link more knowing that he becomes that Link in a, in a game that we've already played? I do because I generally have a, a better time connecting with characters through multiple iterations of stories. It's why I like... It's why I like books and TV series and movies that have good quality follow-ups. Like when I was younger in middle school and high school, I loved the Aragon series because I was able to follow those characters throughout their progression. And and when I was younger, not so much now that I'm older, but uh, when I was younger, it was just really enthralling to grow with those characters. And I feel the same way about... I feel the same way about the hero of time. Um the uh, spirit tracks train is uh, just coming right through. <laughs> coming right through. Okay, we'll give it a second. Uh, <laughs> I hear that train are coming. coming. Coming around the bend. And I ain't seen sunshine. Since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. And time keeps dragging on. <laughs> but that train keeps, keeps a rolling on the San Antone. <laughs> That was, that, was that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. Oh my god. Okay, I think you're really good. All right. I think we're actually good this time. Um, that's one more reason that I connect more so with the hero of time because he's he's seen in Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and again in Twilight Princess, and you can really follow his track and you can grow with him as a character and you feel his motivations a little bit more and connect with him. Almost not not like he's a real person. I mean, I do a little bit. Maybe I'm a little bit crazy, but you feel like you know them. And so you, seeing them grow instead of just a snapshot in time, it's one of the things that compels me most about really good book series, really good uh, TV series and movies, Lord of the Rings, uh, Dark Stephen King's Dark Tower, um, like just these these books and these mediums, these uh, these mediums that just bring these characters and show you a growth pattern and make you feel like a part of that story and that journey. That's what I like get. That's when I, that's when I get the most out of media is when, when I'm able to engage with them in that way. Yeah. Mike, how about yourself? The connection from this link to where, what we know of him to go on and do in links awakening. So it was hard for me because I never really, I knew that that was how it goes this into the Link's Awakening Zelda, I never really thought about them being the same Link throughout the game. I kind of pictured him as his own standalone Link, as partially probably playing that out of order somewhat did that to me, but it didn't take away from my experience with this Link any. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Playing it out of order, I guess, is kind of a disorienting way to look at this. Um, and uh, I mean, the games are kind of presented in tone and art style kind of differently too. So that sort of helps um, to create a disconnect between them, I think. But yeah, it's just, it's some cool little extra knowledge, I guess, that that can that can kind of push the cool factor forward of this link. But anyway, um, let's move on to our next character of consequence. 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 <laughs> We're all forgetting how to speak a little bit. Tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> we haven't even had that much whiskey yet. Only like half a glass, like yet. not even that much yet. Um, yeah. The next character of consequence, which is going to be Ganon, our uh, eternally reincarnating version of the uh, or manifestation of the curse of demise, 
which uh, you know we we understand the the breadth of what that is now, having played through Skyward Sword. Mm-hmm. This Ganon, um, of course, back before the character had a whole lot of human traits associated with him. I mean, this guy is is pig monster, right? Yeah, um, big bat. Yeah, yeah, a va- arguably yeah. a vampire, according to Jackson. Yeah. So I will say that listening to Jackson talk about it on the last episode, I had strong feelings the same way. Ah, I was like, yes. he's kind of vampire-y. Like he turns into a bat. You know, he's he's shrouded in mystery. And then the whole thing where he turns invisible in the dark and you've got to light the torches. Mm. I'm like, this dude's part vampire. Wes3DP, uh, one of our most active uh, social media followers, agrees with this theory that he's, at, at the very least, very vampire-esque. So Ganon is supposed to be pure evil, right? Correct. So I, I think that we see this in several other games, too, just on a side note. like So you've got human Ganon. You've got yeah, Ganondorf normally. Ganondorf. You've got Pigboy Ganon. You've got Chaos. I calamity. Mean, yeah, Calamity Ganon. And so you've got all these different renditions of just evil. So what's to say there couldn't be a vampire rendition where he's just that aspect of evil? Yep. I mean, I think you're... I, I like it. And it is worth mentioning that this version of Ganon, from a canon standpoint, this canon Ganon, is... <laughs> um, uh, he is still the living version of uh, Ganondorf, Ganondorf from, from the Ocarina, of, Ocarina time. of Time after his after the Triforce of Power has turned him into monstrous pig Ganon. So. Where apparently he remains in that form permanently while he's in the Dark Realm, apparently. Yeah, so I mean, that's his change. You yep. know, like everyone gets twisted, so he's pig boy. And I just want to say that with the Ganon canon, if Groose doesn't show back up at some point and make <laughs> the Ganon canon, I'm going to be upset. Uh, fair enough. Groose, the maker of all great canons. <laughs> <laughs> the, did, what do you call it? The Groosinator? Yeah. Yeah, the Groosinator. So does it shoot Ganon? Like, does it fire Ganon? Or does it shoot things at Ganon? No, I think, I think Ganon carries it around and shoots things out of it. But why would Groose make that for him? No, I think he's just going to take Groose's thing because uh, remember we had the whole thing of like Groose is the only character with red hair True. and all the Gerudos maybe some point descended from Groose and so that's how Ganon Ganondorf consi- continually becomes through that line this is totally like <laughs> way <laughs> rabbit this trail this is some serious headcanon <laughs> rabbit trail right absolutely here. Uh, but I like it so I think that this incarnation of Ganon has a lot more spunk than some of the other ones he's he's a little more like sassy and um, talkative <clears throat> But uh, and his the fight with him is is good. Um, again, as we talked about in the last episode with Jackson, like having already played this exact fight in Link's Awakening just for his nightmare version, didn't have as much gravitas or difficulty for me. Um, but I, I think overall he's a solid enough rendition of Ganon. He's definitely more of the in the background puppet master than you get in some of the other games like Ocarina of Time Ganon. He's present through the entire game. Um, he gets more of the demise treatment here where he's like the big bad at the end. And you don't even see him till the very end right before when you fight him. So he's got that puppet master Darth Sidious treatment, which I don't dislike. Um, I would say that it's 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 fine. Like it's a good it's a good use of the the big bad archetype, right? In my opinion, I mean, I appreciate my bad guys with some guile and some some intrigue. So having his alter ego Aganim be the bad guy in this one, it is Ganon all the way through. It's right. just a different form or aspect of Ganon. So that was pretty interesting to me. I enjoyed this rendition of Ganon. I agree with all that. I think that you know. 
for how little we actually see of him. Uh, I, I enjoy his characterization quite a lot. Um, I think his cool looking version of Ganon, you know, um, definitely visually like well done. The sprite of the character Ganon is very well done. Yeah, the fight is fine. And I think that there's enough kind of sinister potential built up around him through the course of playing the game that uh, that the payoff is nice. Um I do think that this being like so so we do kill him here. Right. So he's dead dead. Yes, he this this version of Ganon in this timeline is now uh dead. And I guess that leaves the curse of demise to once again manifest later. Yeah, further down the road in this timeline, but um is there another game after this besides Link's Awakening in this timeline? Oh yeah. Uh well the Oracle games are oh, all you're right. in this one and then But the, the main bat of the Oracle games is Vati, isn't it? No, the main bat of the Oracle well, Oracle of Seasons it's Onyx, General Onyx, and then in Oracle of Ages it's uh the sorceress Varen. But if it's not Ganon. But if you link the games, it turns out the overall plot of the Oracle games is that Twin Rova are trying to resurrect Ganon. There we go. Okay, thank you for yeah. making that connection for me. Yep. So whenever he <laughs> Whenever you defeat Agadon the second time and he turns into Bat and flies off, I couldn't help but thinking uh, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was Agatha all along. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a good one. And also, now that I'm thinking about it, The Legend of Zelda, the original, uh, geez, that one does take place in this timeline as well. And Ganon is the big bad there. So I guess he was resurrected at some point. I don't know. We're going to have to go back and look at Hyrule Historia to see I don't know where what the specifics are in. on that. I don't know if we're supposed to like infer that Twin Rova did like successfully or if it is just a new version of Ganon that's like manifested over time. I have I have no idea. Oh, and a link between worlds is kind of it is it definitely is in well. it's definitely in this at least timeline yeah, it or is. So. fallen hero era, right? So, yeah, so but any anywho, this this is the end of the line for this variation of Ganon starting in Ocarina of Time. Um, yep. But and, and there's what, what else is there really to say about him? You know, I mean, so I have a question for you, Lyndon, because if I remember correctly and if I'm not remembering correctly, you can disagree with me and then edit this out. But if I'm remembering correctly, you didn't particularly enjoy the demise reveal at the end of the game being the big bad. You kind of wished that uh, Girahim had been the the bad guy so what what makes you feel differently about ganon when he really in my opinion has almost exactly the same treatment as demise i mean again this is a very different kind of game than skyward sword so the fact that that build up for the main villain is kind of handled differently between those two games i I think i feel differently about it for that reason my issue with demise and skyward sword was mostly that that game had the ability to show us more of demise and make him more of a threat credibly and then didn't and then just didn't yeah you know okay so fair enough yeah let's move on so if we don't see ganon too much in this game then we see even less of this third person in our plot in our in our in our major character analysis and that is of course this incarnation of princess zelda <laughs> who <laughs> honorable mention who is just really a non-factor in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Uh, man, I – to say that I am disappointed in how Zelda was handled as a character in A Link to the Past would be an understatement. Well, but you can't come off of Skyward Sword Zelda to this Zelda and have any different reaction. I mean, you almost wonder why it's called Zelda at this point playing this game because she's such an inconsequential character in the grand scheme as far as the – 
the story buildup. I mean, granted, she she does have an important part to play, but she was more just of a narrative device in this than a character. Right. And and I again, trying to view all these games independently and objectively as much as possible, removing even Skyward Sword Zelda from the equation. Like there are so many other female characters and Zelda's specifically that just are so much more impactful, even if they're not in the game as much as this Zelda, like Marin being the next iteration of she's not Zelda, obviously, but she's the next iteration of the primary female and protagonist sort of um, has way more to do. Um, any of the any of the um, characters in Majora's Mask, uh, female characters, the the two ranch sisters, um, Romani and Crimea, yeah, have have more screen time and more to do and more impact on the story. Like I just well, there's I think- just. I think the most relevant, uh, the most relevant uh, connection we can draw is to Marin in Link's Awakening. Which, I would agree. Which came out two years after this game, and man, what a what a change! Yeah, like, just, just so much more usage of the character, um, just generally more impactful. Um, and even the next iteration of Zelda, which comes in Ocarina of Time, even though that Zelda spends most of her time as Sheik, and, and honestly, I, I prefer to view those as two separate characters just because they're very, very different. But even the Zelda of Ocarina of Time was around more, did more, had more impact, and was more of a factor in the story than I felt like this Zelda was. And that's disappointing to me. Well, and whenever you think about it like that, so in this game, we just talked about how Link is kind of a vanilla character for you to imprint upon in this game none of the characters in this game are particularly deep i mean she she by far got the worst treatment of it of that that lack of depth of a character but it's just a growing point because from all accounts on here on out it just gets better for both characters agreed agreed and having having no experience of what they were like in either legend of zelda or adventure of link i don't know where their growth is from that point to here maybe it's monumental but Again, just it's not a great it's not it's not a great comparison to make with the experience that Lyndon and Mike and I have all had of Zelda or other female characters in the Legend of Zelda series. Yeah, definitely bottom of the barrel so far. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Let's move on to part two, which is where we kind of give out an award for which dungeon we each thought was the best one in the game. I'm going to go ahead and lead off and I'm going to give mine to the one that Matt is almost certainly not going to give his to, which is the Ice Palace, which I just thought was a blast. Um, I love everything about that dungeon. I love the environment there. Um, I love how different it feels from anywhere else we'd been in the game up to that point. Like the icy kind of uh, atmosphere uh, just felt very, very stark in contrast to a lot of the other places that we'd been. Uh, But even more than that, I appreciate that this dungeon requires a lot of the same sort of backtracking and um, kind of requiring you to keep uh, a very um, keep a lot of awareness uh, about where you are in the dungeon at any given point. Um, it's highly vertical. It's got a lot of staircases, a lot of moving between floors. Um, some I mean, very, there's what like twelve floors on that. Yeah, like it's crazy. Some very challenging combat and some uh, some you know some really uh, brain teasing puzzles as well. Lin- I, I loved it. Lynn, are you saying this dungeon required you to stay frosty? this dungeon required me to stay frosty little Um, dad joke for you there yeah uh yeah and i mean notable for uh 
you know, featuring our second appearance in the series of Greg the Block, Matt's eternal nemesis. Yes. And also introducing us to Matt's new nemesis, who he hates even more than Greg the Block, which would be Igor the Block. Igor, uh, Igor, how's may the, you rotten an icy hell. How's the naming scheme going for this? Jackson named Jackson named Igor. We just came up with Greg because he is the uh, Greg the Ogre was the primary version of uh, or the primary person that all weapons were tested on in Destiny 2 for a long time. Uh, Whenever you needed to figure out like what what a uh, max DPS was, there was this one lost sector boss that was an ogre, and our, one of our favorite streamers asked across named him Greg the Ogre because he had some other like really long name, but he just shortened it to Greg. So it, it all kind of comes from there. But Jackson named Igor, and I thought it was appropriate. There, I don't know why, but it, just, it 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 felt right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very difficult from a combat standpoint. Really, it just like to me this dungeon amped up the difficulty to a level that I personally enjoy in Zelda games. And I have kind of exacting standards there. It's pretty e- – like I played enough Zelda games and I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I consider myself pretty good at them. And <laughs> it kind of takes a little bit for a dungeon to really appeal to me from a difficulty standpoint at, at this point. And Ice Palace uh, definitely – definitely hit that for me for the first time in this game there were some dungeons after that that i also really appreciated from a difficulty standpoint in a similar way but i think this one was more of a a full package just just to me yeah i mean so this this um dungeon would have been my top dungeon without igor the block like 100 percent. honestly i really really liked this dungeon until we just got to that final puzzle and i know we talked about a lot in that episode so i'm not going to rehash it all here but that last block puzzle just absolutely infuriated me pushed me over the edge and and bumped this down not to my least it's not my least favorite it's not but it's definitely not my favorite (laughs) it sounds like igor really got under your skin he did he very much did you can't see us but there's real rage in matt's eyes right now yes absolutely well here i'm wondering now if you were to go back and replay the game boy advance version of links a link to the past um, where the Igor the block puzzle is removed, I wonder if this would have taken top it, spot. It would have because I, I read the um, ZeldaDungeon.net version of the Game Boy Advance where you literally just had to drop down on the correct side of that because um, they, they replaced that um, trigger with a wall and you just have to drop down from the level above on the correct side of the of the room. And like that would have been totally fine. And I think this would have taken the top spot had that been the uh, had that been the ending puzzle. Mike, uh, how about yourself? So I would say that it was almost a tie for me between Ice Palace and Turtle Rock. Mm. But uh, because Lyndon took Ice Palace, I'm going to go ahead and say Turtle Rock was my favorite. I was very challenged by quite a few of the dungeons in this. And that may be just due to my lack of experience with all the Zelda dungeons um, that you've experienced. But there was at least one puzzle per dungeon where I kind of had to beat my head against it, which I enjoy to a certain extent. extent. There were a couple times where I was like, I'm getting dangerous close to looking this up. <laughs> but uh, that aside, I really liked the the difficulty of Turtle Rock. Um, the puzzles were intriguing. Having to use the cane and kind of maneuver through that had a learning curve. But once I figured it out, I was pretty proud of myself. Mm. Um, the boss of Turtle Rock really sealed the deal for me. Um, it just uh, the way that that fight went and the different elements they incorporated really made that fun for me. So that's why it's taken the cake on my end. Yep. I, I will say that the uh, 
Trinex, who is the boss of Turtle Rock, is definitely my favorite boss. What a badass name, right? Trinex. It, it, he's definitely my favorite boss of, of the game. Trinex was my favorite boss as well. Yeah. Um, so that that definitely put Turtle Rock in the running. Dark Palace is also very much in the running. I really enjoyed our first Dark World dungeon. I thought was excellent. Um, the And the item you get out of it, the hammer, uh, is very useful throughout the game um, in a lot of different ways. Um, and that boss fight was also really fun, the Helmosaur King. Um, I think... I think I'm actually going to go ahead and say that Dark Palace was probably my favorite. Um, I think that it had a very good mix of challenging dungeons and uh, moving around the dungeon and backtracking and figuring out the path and which way to go. Uh, useful item, fun boss fight all the way around. Um, my my other pick might have been Gargoyle's Domain, but I just didn't love that boss fight at all. Um, Blind was frustrating in a lot of ways so I, I think i'd have to say that dark palace would, would be my favorite yeah i really like the dark palace and i know you guys had already talked about it um on a different episode but the culmination of all the other temples in this dark palace was one of my favorite renditions of a final dungeon it, it's been kind of hit or miss oh, you guys talked about this too the we're to, you're you're talking about ganon's castle dark yeah. palace is the first dungeon you go to in the dark world never mind yeah but but i do want to i do want to say the only reason i didn't pick ganon's tower is because I, I have a hard time making my favorite dungeon the very last one i feel like that's kind of cheating in a lot of ways if if but i don't know if that's true because like we Ooh. we have had uh a less than stellar run of final dungeons that's leading true. up to this one and it, it was a it was a note a, a, a note it was a note of particular feedback last week that, that it was the best one that, that this one stood out far and above all of the others and even more so than just being the best of the final dungeons was a fun dungeon in its own right so so if we're going to include that in being able to be picked i'm going to change mine to ganon's tower because it was a true culmination of all the dungeons and a very wonderful, what did I call it? A gumbo of, of all the <laughs> delicious gumbo, delicious dungeon gumbo. And so <laughs> since we're putting the, that one in the running, Ganon's Tower would definitely be my pick, hands down. Um, but all that to say, the fact that we each have different ones and we had different like backups, there are a lot of fantastic dungeons in this game. Yeah. Very, very good dungeons. That was what impressed me the most about this game. I mean, there's some areas where I do think it fell short of other games we've played, but its quality of dungeons was very consistent. Very good, very good. I would, I will agree. Um, I think especially coming off of, you know, th those first three weeks were just kind of rough because uh, the, the first three dungeons of the game, Eastern Palace, um, Desert Palace, and Tower of Hera, I don't think any of us were really too enamored with any of them. They were just kind of easy no. and boring. Yeah. Um, and then, y you know, t it, there was such a switch after that point. Once you get to the Dark World um, and you tackle all of those, they, they just get so much better, and they are really good. I do not think that this game's dungeons uh, had the same average – excellence as skyward swords i would agree with that and i and i'm looking i'm going down and looking at our list of dungeons here and the the first three as you just said Lyndon, they don't stand out at all i they were not that interesting dark palace was really good swamp palace was was good Sk i did not like skull woods i just found it frustrating um gargoyles domain was good Ice Palace was good to the until the end uh obviously uh point of debate um Misery Mire wasn't phenomenal. 
Um, Turtles Rock, very good. Ganon's Tower, very good. So, like, you're still hitting a pretty high average there, but there are some definite low points. And just looking at some of the, specifically to your mention of Skyward Sword being the best consistent, like, overall score of dungeons, I think is true. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to part three, which is where we talk about what we thought was the best item in this game. Matt, I already, uh, I, I know which one you're going to say already, so why don't you just... Oh, you do? What, what, what is it? Because I don't think you, I don't think you do know. You told me before we started recording. I did? Yes. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. What did I say? The red mail. Oh, yeah, well, no, I, I was just, <laughs> I was just kidding. Um, okay. I'm, no, I was just well, kidding. I thought you were serious. He wasn't kidding. He's just changing it. <laughs> no, I, I was kidding. Um, I think it's, there's a, like we said Link has the largest collection of just absolutely overpowered items in this game. Um, and I don't want to pick any of those. Like, I I, I don't think we sh- I think we should exclude the Magic Cape and the Cane of Burna because they just make the game like you're literally invincible. Um, I would say that the item I had the most fun with was the Fire Rod. Uh, I, I ran around for a good portion of the closer to the end of the game, just lighting people on fire for funsies. And um, that was that was a very enjoyable thing uh, that I got to do. I will say the silver arrows were a close second because of they're just they one shot almost literally everything. And it was it was awesome. But so I would say fire rod. Yeah, there were so many good items in this game. It's kind of hard to narrow down. And you kind of talked a second ago about the uh, the. uh Magic Cape, Cane of Burna. Not Magic Cape, Cane of Burna specifically, um, but the role-playing game. I'm blanking. Help me. Mass Effect? No. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Dungeons & Dragons. To me, Link is like the level one character that just kind of gets a bunch of cool items. <laughs> <laughs> and they power him through the game. Um, but a lot of that kind of had that kind of feel for me as far as like, well, you get this cool item and it upgrades your your whole abilities but i think that the hook shot in this game was by far my most used item i used it to incapacitate all the enemies before i go fight them um at a certain point it kind of tapers off and i was going to say cana burna but apparently matt's made that taboo i I mean i just think it makes the game cheese mode well that's part of the fun about the game Matt. (laughs) okay i like cheese mode I mean, you can say Cana Burna. I'm not. I'll give you a hard time about it, but well, I'm used to that. So Cana Burna. All right. Well, there you go. Mike's Mike's likes the cheese mode. So I personally am actually going to go. I'm taking a hard left from where I initially was with this item. Um, I'm going to choose the ice rod. Oh man, yes. <laughs> yeah, because this this was the item that for the longest time we thought was just useless as crap. I mean, like, seriously, we we didn't understand what it was for. All it did was take up magic and freeze dudes that we would have just killed anyway. So <laughs> it made it made no sense. And then our good friend Melora was kind enough to fill us in on the wonderful properties of the ice rod, uh, uh, you know, primarily of which is its ability to refill your magic meter infinitely by freezing enemies and then hitting them with the hammer. And I relied on that a crap ton in the last few dungeons. Oh, of this Yeah, game. especially in like Turtle Rock and Ice Palace where you it was they were magic heavy dungeons and you just had to have a ton of magic power. So and I heard Melora give us that tidbit and I was like, oh, that's cool. I should do that. I never did that the entire game. <laughs> I used the hammer as minimal as I could, and then the ice rod made very few appearances. Um, I just kind of did my own thing. And then the Cana Burna, you get it so late in the game that I wouldn't necessarily say it's 
it's cheesing it because it really, you only get it right before turtle rock. At least that's when I got it. So I, I would still say probably the hook shot was my, my most used and useful item. All right, let's move on to part four, which is best music. We had a little bit of a dust up about this between us before we started recording. And uh, and I don't know. I want to get into it a little bit because I think that this game has got some of the best music, certainly of this era. Um, and, and, you know, some real earworms that have kind of stuck with me over the years. And uh, I think more than enough to pull a really great uh, Symphony of the Goddesses medley out of. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and lead off with mine and then I'm going to go to Matt and, uh, Mike to give you theirs. Um, I, I think that the dark world theme is my favorite piece of music in this game. Um, it's just so, it's such a cool kind of, uh, I don't know, slightly more sinister feeling version of an overworld theme from the main Hyrule one. But like at the same time, it still conveys a nice sense of adventure. Uh, I think this is one of the all time great Zelda soundtracks. I, I just really like it, and I'm glad that it's brought back in A Link Between Worlds. I mean, it's fair. I, that was going to be my pick, but uh, since you've taken it, I'll go with our Hyrule Overworld theme. I, I, I don't know if this is the first iteration of it. Again, having not played the, it's, it's uh, not. It was okay. in, it was in the Legend of Zelda. Well, this is my f- earliest encounter with it so far, and it's just so classic, and it is so um, nostalgia-inducing, and it's such a classic call to adventure that every time i hear it starting up the game it it like gets me ready to go gets me ready to go dive into hyrule ready to to get some dungeons kill some moblins um and just move along so i'm gonna go with uh, a cheesy easy pick but the uh, hyrule overworld theme talked about it before the the podcast started and yeah the the dust up was we were having a hard time picking favorite music because the music is so consistently good throughout and not having played this back in the day and had nostalgia with it i had a hard time kind of differentiating between the good music between dungeons and the overworld themes they all kind of blur together i just enjoyed it as i went um so i landed on the ganon theme at the very end of the game um i love a good boss fight with music and this had parallels, too, to the Ocarina um, Ganon fight. Some of the similar lines in it, as we said, the, the bass line of it. Um, <laughs> B-A-S-E. <laughs> yes. Um, but I enjoyed that theme. It really kind of brought some hype to that fight. And I, I appreciate that whenever I'm in a, a climactic fight, having music go along with it. 
fantastic. And and again, seeing that uh, later um, in real world time in the Ganon fight in Ocarina of Time is really cool uh, continuity there. A lot of fun. Yep. Love it. Let's get into part five, which is the best side quest. I feel like we're going to, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those games that Max warned us about where he said that the further back that we went in the timeline of Zelda games, the less we were going to be able to get out of this general side questy section. Um, And there were some good ones here. Uh, Definitely was not as populated with fun side quests as some of the more recent games that we've played. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I loved the whole flute boy situation, the the whole quest that it, um, ends up giving you the flute and then access to Birdo friend. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It had some emotional resonance. It actually, I think, was kind of a forebear of some of the quests that happen in Link's Awakening, where there's some actual like emotional pathos happening um, that makes you feel a little something for these little sprite people. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Flute Boy and, uh, and of course, his dad uh, giving them some closure, uh, which actually ended up not being closure because Flute Boy came back. Indeed. He, uh, he came back once we restored the lands to peace uh, by wishing upon the Triforce. Yeah. Good for Flute Boy. Happy for him and his father. So as far as side quests for me, I'm going to kind of take one that's definitely a side quest and then one that I'm hoping will just play <laughs> with with this. Um, I really liked the Dwarf Brothers and having to reunite them to – I see Matt because I probably took his. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the, just the, the process of, okay, well, I know that you're looking for your brother. When am I finally going to stumble upon him? finding the frog and kind of that whole transition to I get something really cool at the end of this with the upgraded sword really made it a, a fun and meaningful quest. But other one is going to be the fairies that you find throughout the game. And there's several of them that you have to give items to. Um, they're not necessarily just fairies, but there are several, I guess, side characters at this point who you're having to blindly toss items to them to get upgrades. Yep. And finding those and deciphering exactly which items I can give to get upgrades was really entertaining for me. A little time-consuming, but I enjoyed the, okay, well, I'm just going to toss it a bottle, see what happens. Okay, cool, I got this. And, you know, what the heck, we'll toss in our bow. Oh, cool, I got this. Yep. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I think that was a really cool um, little little side thing that you were able to do. Um, since you guys took the two best ones, uh, I will go with, um, I actually kind of enjoyed, uh, taking the locked chest over to the, uh, the locksmith or the, the pick, the, the locksmith, the guy. average middle-aged, the average man. middle-aged man. Yeah. That was a, that was a fun little, uh, <laughs> that was a fun little thing when you find, you found out his, his use, um, getting that fourth bottle out of that. That was kind of fun. Just going back between, back and forth between the dark world to, to get a useful, uh, little bottle out of it and, uh, giving him something to do besides just sit there in his own little corner for, for the rest of eternity. <laughs> So that, that'll be mine. I love it. I still love the inclusion of the average middle-aged man is just like the most relatable person in a, in a Zelda game to date. <laughs> and the older we get, the more relatable he is. <laughs> I really feel for that guy. Like I, I identify with him. Yes. Uh, he's got a, he's got a mustache that rivals yours, Mike. That's I know. for sure. I hear about, Let's see. I'm 31. Give me a couple more years, and I'll sit sit out by a signpost. <laughs> Do not disturb the average middle aged man. Yeah. <laughs> I thought like that'd be a really easy low effort Halloween costume for me, <laughs> and that nobody would understand. 
You guys would. That's all that matters. Yeah, we will. We will understand. We would appreciate it. We would love you more for it. All right. Well, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts and ranking. This is what y'all showed up oh, for. Boy. You want to know where we're going to put this one. We're going to defer the ranking until the end of this segment. Um, everyone, let's let's start with Matt. Give me your succinct final thoughts on this game and try not to like – I don't know. Try not to to lead us too much into what your your vote is going to yeah. be here. Like so so, this being the earliest iteration of a Zelda game that I've ever played, I came in with pretty low expectations. Regardless of how many people told me that it was their favorite game and how excited they were for us to play this one, um, I didn't expect to like it very much. And I came away just very much enjoying this game. I thought it was excellent. I thought the mechanics were well done. The dungeons, as we've already said, were just very, very good, you know, mostly consistently excellent and um, definitely by far has the best final dungeon that we've played at least so far and the best final dungeon that I can really remember of the games that I have personally played. Um, I think there is a lot of there's a lot of gems here that have just aged very well. The art style, the music, the the characterization, the or the character sprites, all of that has just aged very well and has culminated in really a, a timeless classic of a game that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, I where I come down on this, having played it and beaten it three times now, is that I will always appreciate this game for kind of setting so many of the trends that we consider to be um, essential to the Zelda series. You know, it really it establishes a language that moves forward throughout the entire rest of the series. Some things get lost the further down the road you go, but a lot of the stuff that we find here truly uh, remains in the Zelda series to this day. Um, it, it was incredibly monumental um, in terms of just game design, especially. I mean, this is one of the this is one of the greatest titles of the era of the 16 bit Super Nintendo era and i think that it has uh it ha- it holds a reverence among gamers for a very very good reason it is just was a groundbreaking game um it absolutely um you know it, it deserves the recognition that it gets for so many different reasons uh i think that it doesn't hold my interest as well as some other Zelda games just because of some of the things that we've mentioned in terms of depth of characterization, um, some early dungeons that I don't enjoy quite as much, uh, and just having a little bit less nostalgia for this game than I've got for some others. But I do have a lot more appreciation for top-down Zelda games than I think you do, Matt. Yeah. And so I don't have that bias working against me on this one. I can analyze it um, from the standpoint of enjoying top downs just as much as 3ds so yeah i you know i i think that this this game is legendary for a very good reason mike so i'll go back to i did enjoy it about 200 more than i thought i would enjoy this game um it really surprised me on what they were able to do with the platform they were given and I was not expecting some of the the different mechanics in the dungeons that they had, um, the different item progression. I was just pleasantly surprised the whole way through. And I, I had a hard time putting it down at times. I really wanted to, to keep going and get on to the next thing, which I can't say for every single Zelda we've played, um, which I think is a step, a, a good step. Um, I really had a hard time putting this one down. That's all I can say. Well, guys, the time has come. 
where we rank A Link to the Past against the other games that we've played in the series. A reminder, the ranking as it stands is number one, Ocarina of Time, number two, Skyward Sword, number three, Link's Awakening. So here's the way that we do this. I'm going to start it off at number four. If you think that it is better than the next game above that, raise your hand. If not, keep your hand down. So if you thought that A Link to the Past was better than Link's Awakening, raise your hand. What? You're out of your mind. I, I, (laughs) wow. I just got to go with my gut, guys. I, I put Link to the Past above Link's Awakening. Expand, please. I, I mean, I feel like we've said it all at this point. So I really enjoyed both games. Um, and I, I love the updated graphics and everything on the remaster of Link's Awakening. But as far as the the dungeons, uh, granted, it did not have the same character development. Like there's pros and cons in every, in every aspect of it. But overall, uh, my enjoyability of this game and the dungeons of this game put it above Link's Awakening for me. Man, I thought this was going to be a shutout, um, but I mean, just in case it wasn't already obvious, Matt and I did not raise our hands. Mike did raise his hand. He believes that A Link to the Past is better than Link's Awakening. Uh, Matt and I do not, which means that the new official ranking is number one, Ocarina of Time, number two, Skyward Sword, number three, Link's Awakening, and number four, A Link to the Past. I just yep. think um, – I think that – This game is so close in quality and enjoyability to Link's Awakening, but Link's Awakening manages to do more with less, I think. It is a shorter game. It has less dungeons, but it's got better – it's got a better story, better characters. Um, The dungeons that it does have are all good, um, and it's just such a more distinctive world to me, and you know – I can't lie, I do have a lot of nostalgia for Link's Awakening that I don't have for this game, but I think even if I was to remove that and just judge them objectively against one another, I still think that Link's Awakening is the better game. Matt? I mean, I, I agree, and and I land here because, and Wes3DP, again, called me out on this straight out on Twitter. He added me, and he was like, how can you say that like uh, it, Link... Link's Awakening took everything good about Link's Pass and made it better when you had to either equip your sword and shield or equip your sword and another item or just equip two items. Basically, he was like, you know, there's some there are definitely some things about the original version of a Link's Awakening that might be less than ideal. But having never played the original versions of of Link's Awakening might give me a little bit of a. Well, I have and I still think it's better. Well, thank you, because I was like, I mean. That might detract from the enjoyment somewhat, but for me, it whether or not I can use my shield, I have the rock's feather, which is just, you know, amazing. But to your point, Lyndon, I feel like into my original statement of I feel like A Link's Awakening takes everything really good about A Link to the Past, the um, the the top down, the good things about a top down Zelda, and it improves upon them. And also gives it better characterization. The dungeons in A Link's Awakening are all very good, uh, except for Greg the Block. And um, like, there's just a different feel to the story that I enjoyed more about Link's Awakening. Um, not again, not to detract it all from A Link to the Past, but I just felt I felt more in tune with Link's Awakening, and it's a game that I can see myself replaying more consistently than A Link to the Past. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's true. I do want to say that even though A Link to the Past is at the bottom of our ranking right now out of four titles, I do foresee this game still maintaining a very respectable spot as we kind of go forward. Like as we get for more sure. games under our belt, I really think that this one is going to hold its own against some of the ones that we go forward and play from here. Um, but yeah, I mean, just out of the ones that we played, like the three games that we played so far are all really heavy hitters. Yeah, ex- you know? just ex- absolutely excellent games, regardless of of how you feel about some aspects of each of the games individually. Right. As a whole, they are all phenomenal games like you can dislike the motion controls in Skyward Sword, but you can't argue that its dungeons are fantastic and its story is amazing. You may dislike if you're crazy some things about Ocarina of Time, but you can't <laughs> deny that its impact on gaming as a whole and its place of honor within generations of gamers is very well deserved and well you could say the same about a link to the past though for sure i mean and i am saying that about a link to the past like it's number four out of four extremely amazing games and that's important to keep in mind and everyone's going to have different criteria of which they judge a game some people are really heavy dungeon people and the dungeons matter more to them than the story or vice versa so it's hard to be completely objective on a game right my thought process on this was i if a game really enthralls me and and begs me to keep playing it Mm -hmm. that's going to make me rank it high and then also I'm in the mindset of this game, not first, because there are, are other games before this. Yeah. But of the games we've played, this game did it first. Yeah. So I, I think that means that of the voting uh, of the voting body of us three, Matt is the only person whose game has landed where he voted it every single time. Um, I think I voted Skyward Sword as the best and it landed at number two. You voted it number one over Ocarina? I don't remember. I would need to go back and listen to that. But I, I mean, it's it's pretty it's I'm definitely the closest. But I think like wh- when I come when I come to approach these voting sessions, I really th- am thinking about how much did I enjoy the story of this game primarily? How much did I enjoy the dungeons that I encountered within this game as a secondary? And how likely am I to sit down and replay this game, you know, consistently? are really the like top three things that I think about when I'm trying to rank a game. And like, that's, that's kind of where I have landed, you know, more or less for, for each of these games. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Mike, we respect your wrong opinion. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Matt who put Skyward Sword above Ocarina. Hey, potentially. I don't remember if I actually did. I need to go back and listen to that. Potentially. I've been disappointed too. I really, I truly believe that A Link's Awakening was was a little bit better than Skyward. But there's a lot of bias rolled up in that for me, so whatever. But before Uh, we move on, I think it's a good thing to have different opinions on what's weighty in a game as far as the ranking of it if we all agreed this would be a lot less fun that's absolutely accurate the trouble is as we go further in the ranking we're going to end up in a really weird spot because like i mean (laughs) we're going to end up with like a link to the past in the bottom spot right but then we're going to have like we might have a game that we like more than say ocarina of time or we, we like it more than Skyward Sword, but we like it less than Link's Awakening, you know, and it might it might get all mixed up. Right. Because the ranking has to stand. So, I mean, I think that's just a discussion to have whenever we're doing a recap episode is, well, did it also beat or outrank any other games that are higher? It might not necessarily change the overall standing, but I think it's an important conversation to have. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think when it comes right down, once we're all said and done and however many more seasons it will take us to play all of these games, we can each come up with our own list and put each of our game, each of those games in our own individual lists and talk about that in a knockdown drag out recap of Sacred Realms episode at the very end. Series finale, if you say. <laughs> in like five years. Yeah, in happens. a very long time from now. <laughs> when we are the average middle-aged man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't disturb us. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that uh, concludes the Sacred Realms recap for season four, A Link to the Past. Guys, it has been a pleasure playing this game, talking about it with both of you and with our entire roster of excellent guests Man, another season in the books. Another season, number four down. It was, uh, it was really, really, we haven't had a bad one, like, to be honest. I, I can't think of any low point besides the Kill Me Now episode, but um, <laughs> in Skyward Sword. Thanks for that, Matt. <laughs> you know what? I still played it, okay? I still played it all the way through. Um, and it's just, it blows me away how much fun we still have with games that we've played many, many times and games that we're brand new to and uh, equal, not necessarily equal, but just massive amounts of fun all the way around. Well, there's only more fun yet to come. Matt and I actually did finally go and have that lunch we've been talking about for months. <laughs> yeah. Where we decided how we were going to tackle Breath of the Wild. We've got a schedule in terms of what episodes we're going to do and when. Uh, we kind of have come up with a retrofitted Sacred Realms rundown that will be more applicable to that game. We will be sharing the schedule with all of you guys. Um, maybe even by the time this episode goes live, we're not going to hang on to it much longer because we recognize that a lot of you are going to want to play along and kind of have some of this game under your belt by the time that our hiatus ends. And we know that it is a longer game. So, uh, you know, it just it takes more effort and time to get through. So we're going to give you guys as much advance notice as we possibly can. So look forward to that very soon. Mike, you going to play Breath of the Wild along with us? I am. It's probably going to be a little bit more spotty than some of these more concise games, um, but I'm going to try my darndest, Lyndon, for you. We appreciate you so much, Mike. And of course, we're going to ha- we're going to have a lot of our favorite recurring guests back on the show. We're going to have bonus episodes with Kylie and Kyle Parker talking about their experience with Breath of the Wild. Of course, our good friend Max Nichols, my coworker at Zibungi, has got lots of thoughts and feelings about Breath of the Wild, a transformative game in the Zelda series. He wants to come on and talk over those. Um, and you can expect to see many more recurring faces coming on the show in season five. Feels very weird that we're about to take a big hiatus, right, Matt? Uh, it will be the first time in almost 11 months that we will not be recording an episode every week to put out on the podcast the following week. That's a yep. very, very weird feeling. Uh, but it has been an 11 months straight of every single week recording at least an episode to put out. Sometimes two. Sometimes two. And uh, and when we were trying to bank a lot of them leading up to the arrival of my son, we did like three episodes a night at one. Oh, point. man, that was a rough night. But yes, <laughs> through kids and COVID, <laughs> through kids and COVID, with, indeed. Well, uh, we couldn't do it without you guys, all of our wonderful listeners, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Wonderful, wonderful guys. I think we're ready to get out of here. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, until next time, Mike. Matt, it's been a pleasure. 
If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back... Sometime in the early spring, we're targeting late March, maybe the first week of April, not sure, uh, with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild, uh, chapter, chapter one, un. chapter one, which will be covering the Great Plateau, in my opinion, one of the greatest tutorial sections of any game ever made. We will uh, be releasing some more episodes between now and then, as I mentioned earlier. Some will be older bonus episodes that are no longer behind a paywall. Some will be new bonus episodes that uh, are meant to build your hype leading into Breath of the Wild, and some will be off-topic conversations about other things. So we will still have stuff coming to the channel. Look forward to that. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Wii U and the Nintendo Switch, but honestly, are you playing it on the Wii U? And if you are, you're wrong. Unless you can't afford a Switch, but I mean, like, I, seriously. They're pretty affordable now. Get a Switch. Yeah. Seriously. Like, if you don't have a Switch, it's it's... It is my favorite Nintendo console of all time. I I think I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just, especially now that you can play Nintendo 64 games on it. It's, it's just, uh yeah, there you go. Yeah, at this point in this life cycle, the Switch has got just too much awesome stuff to play. Get a Switch. <laughs> in the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss for the final time in season 4. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. 